Welcome to Character First, a podcast focusing on developing confidence, empathy, resilience, and 21st century skills for our children and our future. Character First is sponsored by Role Model Mentors. You're listening to Character First, Episode 5, featuring Scott Brody, CEO and owner of Camp Everwood Holdings and board member of the American Camp Association and the Partnership for 21st Century Skills. All right. Welcome to the program, Scott. So glad to have you here today. I'm very excited to be here. So let's start off. You own a couple of camps, both boys and girls, sleepaway and day camps. Tell us how you came to be a camp owner. Well, I actually attended uh, the overnight camp that I now own in New Hampshire um, from uh, age 8 to 13. And, I, and it really was the most profound learning experience and sort of identity building experience of my life. Uh, and I went back there a few years later to be a counselor, and I really fell in love with the work. Of, of helping uh, children sort of find their best version of themselves, as I had found mine. And when I was 21, I sort of had this epiphany that I wanted to dedicate my life to this work. But I was on the road to becoming a lawyer and doing other things. And I, I went to law school and I did those things. But I kept my hand in camp and uh, worked with the folks that owned Kenwood and Evergreen back then. And they really sort of led me on a 10-year apprenticeship uh, where I learned a little bit about camp, a little bit more about what it meant to work with kids and and create community the way that we do. And when we, they were finally ready to uh, sell the camp and retire, uh, they made it possible, uh, as did the Small Business Administration and a commercial bank, uh, for me to, uh, uh, to own my first camp. So that's sort of how I came into this line of that's work. That's amazing. It's hard to think of two things more far afield from one another than a law office and a camp. So... <laughs> I, I keep much better company these days. <laughs> That's great. So for many, camp is almost a magical place. And you talked about how profound it was in your life. And so many people do. What is it exactly about the camp experience that kids love so much and that is, you know, plays such a role in their lives for so long? Well, you know, if you stop and think about what camp is sort of at its core, it's, it is an experience, right? It's a place, but it's also an experience, a community that is designed around kids. So kids are at the center of this community. You know, the model of schools that we have, in many ways, sort of a traditional school that you or I might have attended as a child, was never really designed around the needs of kids. It was designed around the needs of adults to sort of manage the process of education. And camp flips that on its head. So we create this intentional community every summer where kids can engage in fun activities. And that's sort of how it presents itself to them. You know, I get to play sports. I get to explore art. I get to uh, adventure program, climb mountains, uh, go on canoe trips, whatever it may be. But living behind that program is really an opportunity for them to build relationship skills and gain independence and self-management 
and really discover uh, the best version of themselves, their, who, who they really want to be without sort of the social pressure um, of home. And frankly, you know, I say this lovingly as a parent without a parent looking over your shoulder. That's phenomenal. And that's kind of easy to understand why as a kid you would love all of that freedom and all those fun activities in a place that was built for you. Yet I meet many adults who are still highly engaged with the camp they went to as a child. They're advocates. A lot of them send their children there. They attend alumni events. Um, I know some families who are, you know, host families and bring everybody into their homes for the camp to talk to prospective campers and their parents about going there. Um, and I, I know a lot of people whose best friends to this day are friends that they made in camp. Tell me about this phenomenon of camp. Does that just happen naturally? Starting with the friendship piece, I think, you know, when you are at camp together and you're living in community in a cabin, in a bunk, um, and you're together for week, weeks, uh, months, whatever, however long that camp program is, you get to experience the best and the worst of each other, right? You go through these amazing highs and these lows, right? The, it's, it's not fake. It's real, right? You can't sort of put on a persona and have it last for weeks and weeks. Uh, kids get very real with each other. And they have these counselors with them whose whole job is to coach them and support them and to help them build confidence in themselves, but also to, to build their social skills, right? To build their ability to communicate. That sort of social and emotional learning that we talk about so much these days, camp is essentially 24-7 for however many days you get to be there, an immersion in all that, right? And I think what ends up happening is, first of all, the friendships that you develop in an intense environment like that are, are so deep and connected. And, you know, you are so bound together because you really know each other at the core that they're the kinds of friendships that sustain lapses in time and distance. You know, the, your classic camp friend is somebody that you cannot see for 10 months. And then you see each other, and within moments, it's as if you saw each other yesterday. You just fall right back into it again. And I think the same is true after decades. So it's that, that incredible connection that people forge uh, as campers, and frankly, as counselors too, that uh, that draw them to that experience and sort of tie their their souls to that time in their lives um, when their friendships were so deep and so meaningful. And I, I think the other piece of that that I would say is there's there's the idea that at camp, and I would say most of my campers would say this, if you said, what do you love most about camp? After you got through the activity stuff, and the people stuff, um, it is, I like who I am there. Um, and I think a lot of adults reflect back on the person that they found, that they discovered while they were at camp. And again, there's such a centrality to that, that it really causes them to forever be connected with their camp experience. And then if their kids go to camp, it's just that you know, taken to an entirely different level. And that's incredible. I've seen that with my own 
kids at camp and <clears throat> even when I pick them up, you know, or in the weeks preceding drop off, I can see them feeling looser and getting happier. And the day that we pick them up, they're almost like a different person and, and they're almost the person that they truly are in that environment. And then it kind of seems like the rest of the year, it's somewhat oppressive to people being their best self. You know, the pressures, whether it be school or what parents put on their children, um, all of the scheduling. And there's a great enlightenment right now happening around social and emotional learning and, and the recognition that character is actually more important to, to happiness and success and correlates more highly to it than, you know, test scores and ACT and SAT scores and all of these kinds of things that seem to be more important when it comes to college ascension. So the camp is facilitating that, and it, and it has been long before anybody was even using that terminology. Is that now that, that people are becoming aware of it, is, is there even more of an effort to facilitate that? Does that aspect of camp go into your thinking and how you plan for you know, the activities during the summer and what that experience is to be like? Well, I think camps that are really deeply committed to making the, the greatest positive impact on their campers and on their staff are, are following the literature. They're following the conversations that are emerging around the importance of, let's say, social and emotional intelligence um, to future success, right? And they're thinking about the world that our kids are growing up in and how dynamic it is and disruptive it is and how our children are, you know, it, I, like when I was a lawyer, uh, which was a little part of my life before I became a camp director, I could have expected to stay in a law firm potentially for my entire career. And then it sort of became, a, oh, you'll probably have five different careers. And then, oh, it'll be seven or eight. And now, you know, the notion is that our kids are going to have to constantly be able to reinvent themselves. They have to be lifelong learners. They have to be really communicative, collaborative, globally aware, all of these pieces that sort of predict for college and career readiness. So as a camp professional, I, I, I sort of look at the landscape and say, okay, what is it that school does and school does well, right? What is it that parents do and, and parents do well? And what, what are the missing pieces? And, and what are the pieces that naturally fit into the kinds of work with kids that we have been doing in camps for 150 years? And when I think about that, I think about social and emotional learning, um, you know, which is sort of classically self-awareness, self-management, responsible decision-making, building your relationship skills and awareness. That's sort of at the heart of social and emotional learning and how to then apply that through communication and collaboration and creativity and critical thinking, how to become a compassionate leader these are things that we have been doing at camp forever. It's almost like you've been doing it all right. of this time. And, and we love like, your framework. Hey, for coming up with some we love your framework. And of course, all the frameworks sort of rise to, you know, with a SEL framework, years. the 21st century learning framework. They're all of these frameworks 
that are used by educators and business folks and the folks at Davos and the World Economic Forum to sort of describe all of this. But the bottom line is the skills that make your kid robot proof in an age of AI are the uniquely human skills uh, and abilities that we have been nurturing for all of this time. You're listening to Character First, hosted by Derek Correa. That's so true. So you referenced this 21st century workplace, and I think a lot of our listeners are probably aware of, of the gig economy that we're already in, and it's only going to go that way even more. And I understand you also serve on the board of the Partnership for 21st Century Learning. Aside from everything that camp does, which is so compelling, whether it's for two weeks or two months, is that organization looking at ways to bring those kinds of benefits to kids outside of the summer? And what can we do as educators, as parents? It, it would be tragic if this was all condensed only into summer camp. And then, of course, you know, summer camp isn't accessible for, for a lot of kids. What kinds of things can we be doing the rest of the year to actually help our children develop these 21st century skills? When the Partnership for 21st Century Learning was created around 18 years ago, um, and it's now sort of, uh, it's actually morphed a bit, it's the P21 network. The reason that community formed was the recognition that kids are growing up in a very different world, right? So uh, P21's work, really, their advocacy work, really focused on what was going on in the classroom. And uh, Common Core was sort of a piece of that, although, you know, Common Core and its implementation was rather messy. But just the notion that these days schools shouldn't just be teaching content knowledge because content knowledge is accessible and will be accessible increasingly instantaneously, right? So, yes, you absolutely need the competencies to access knowledge, but, you know, memorization simply doesn't cut it anymore. And frankly, there's so much more to know now than there was 20 or 30 years ago that it doesn't make sense to turn kids into little memorizing machines um, with basic uh, uh, mathematical abilities or basic uh, uh, communication ability. Um, kids all need higher order skills, right? They all need to be able to work together effectively in teams. They all need to be able to learn how to be a good leader, how to contribute, how to be creative, especially, which is something that our system sort of squeezes out of kids. Um, so P21's focus was really how do we turn classrooms into, you know, how do we bring more of that into classrooms? And you can look at, you know, social and emotional learning curricula um, as an effort to do that as well, right? So now there's an awful lot of schools that are trying to bring some social and emotional learning through, uh, you know, curriculum into classrooms. Um, but the truth is, you don't become a great leader by reading books about leadership, right? You, right? you don't learn how to be a great team member uh, by, you know, reading team theory, Right, you, you you don't collaborate based on somebody's advice about collaboration. You have to practice this stuff in 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 the real world, in real life circumstances. And so, when I think about the opportunity that exists outside of school, 
that's really where our kids spend most of their time, where they only spend about 22% of their year in school when you think about all of the other time they have, uh, whether it's evenings when they're home or weekends or vacations and other things. So what are they learning the rest of the time? What kind of experiences are they having and where do they have an opportunity to practice these kinds of skills and to experience, to build their competencies in these areas? Even P21 recognized that out-of-school time, or what they call beyond school, which includes camp and after school and community-based engagement, volunteering, service learning, all of those kinds of things, or frankly, even just what are your responsibilities in your household and what's your role there? These are all opportunities for our kids to learn and practice these critical skills. So I think the blue sea of opportunity for social and emotional and 21st century learning is out of school time. Right. And, and it almost seems inherent in order to be achieved, it has to be kids spending time with other kids. And, and to your point, not always in structured environments or where the agenda for that time spent is already laid out for them by an adult, whether it's a coach or a teacher or whatever the case may be. That's right. That's right. It can't be dosed and sterilized, right? right? Because then it's not real, right? And, you know, we all know the tendency that we have as parents to want to smooth the road in front of our kids. But how do your kids, you know, learn resilience and, and practice that, right, without having to travel a rough road sometimes. Great that you mentioned that because it is, it, it is natural instinct for a parent when their kid is struggling or something bad's happening to them or even boredom. We've somehow, like kids say, I'm bored and, and parents think that it's their job to solve for that. But in camp, you've got one of the greatest examples of that that happens right at the beginning, right? A parent drops their kids off and, you know, within hours sometimes or with, you know, that first evening or perhaps over the course of the first couple of days, that kid could be homesick. And, you know, that's, that's a very normal feeling for a kid. And parents, when they get that letter, that letter, please come and get me, I hate it here. How do you, you seem to have developed an expertise in not only helping the kid through that, because the reality is the kids help themselves through that most of the time. And that's what's so amazing about it, because that's how you develop resilience. But you've talked to the parents out of their most natural instinct, which is I'm going to come and get my daughter or my son. Tell us a little bit about that, because I feel like that learning of doing that and, and letting your kid feel negative feelings and sort out how to overcome them is one of the things that has to happen way more than it does today. I, I mean, I think you put your finger on it, right? We, I'm very blessed at my camps to have a community of parents that are really loving and wonderful and engaged and always well-intended. Uh, it's very, there's very few exceptions to that in my many years of, of this work. But one of the things that we have recognized is we need to inoculate our parents in advance. We need to <laughs> let them know, right? They need to know what's coming and they need to understand that, um, homesickness is natural and healthy and some kids simply won't have it, but many kids will. And it's not a negative. It's an opportunity. And what we do is describe to our parents how we handle it at camp. And the way we do that 
is to me the 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 magic solution to homesickness is connection, right? It is feeling connected to others, feeling loved and being known and understanding your surroundings. And in a healthy camp community, those things happen very intentionally and naturally in a relatively short period of time. But when you first get to camp, that's when you feel least connected, least knowledgeable, and least known, right? right? So you're definitely going to have that feeling. So our, our counselors really engage with the kids, but I engage, I do these little parent meetings before camp starts. We actually have a we have a new camper party, or we actually have a couple of them uh, for our new kids that are coming in, and we usually do them in May. Uh, and we have parents bring their kids, and we just get the kids together and do rock climbing or something. They get to meet each other. It's a little bit of an icebreaker. They meet some counselors. Uh, my counselors volunteer to go there. It's quite extraordinary. Um, they just want to be there and meet the kids. But I actually kidnap the parents. Um, and take them in a room and I walk them through this and I say, Hey, you're going to get a letter from your child that says, I'm miserable. I hate it here. You know, I'm crying myself to sleep. And there are a couple things that you need to know. First, it's just a moment in time. And frankly, because we love snail mail for this reason, it's a moment that has already passed is likely three days old and no longer even exists. So just sort of take a breath, <laughs> right, and say, okay. I always, wonder, I always wondered why you still use snail mail at camps. Now that makes all the sense in the world. It's a great buffer. Right. That makes a lot of sense. We are always the tough ones, the parents. So last thing. So you, you own a couple of camps. You're involved in the P21 network. We were just talking earlier, I know you were down in Washington, D.C. doing some lobbying on behalf of, of the Camp Association, where you're also on the board of the American Camp Association. For those that are listening that uh, maybe their kids are just going to be coming of age to go to camp, or they never sent their child to camp before, but now they're thinking about it, is the American Camp Association site a good place to go for someone who's considering camp for their children? Where would you suggest parents go to, to learn more? Yeah, it's actually the American Camp Association, which we affectionately call ACA, has a, an extraordinary set of resources available for parents. And they created an online tool called Find a Camp. And you can find it at find, F-I-N-D, dot A-C-A camps dot org. And it is a great tool. Parents are asked a series of questions there's a very large database that contains, uh, I think the latest is 3,711 camps, 11,040 programs, wow. and a description of 6,436 different sessions. And you can dial in based on what you are looking for, what your child's interests are, day camp, overnight, family camp, whatever it is. You can search the database and it really helps you get yourself down to a manageable list and and then I would say, you know, ideally it's wonderful to visit camps, um, especially during the summer if you're if you have the luxury of planning the year out. It's wonderful to go to see a camp. Camps do tours and, you know, accommodate that sort of thing. You just have to fit into their ability to manage their camp community first and manage tours second. But you know, it's a great way to to find the right kind of programs for your family and for your kids. Wonderful. 
Well, thank you so much for joining me on the program today, Scott. It was a pleasure talking to you. And all of this talk about camps makes me kind of wish that there was a camp for adults. I could use I could use six to eight weeks. <laughs> <laughs> an awesome well, that's, camp. that's growing too there are, there are a few programs out there you're not the first to say it fantastic well thank you so much all right take care thank you for listening to character first